morning. If you're wanting to get your Bible open, you can open to Luke chapter 10. If you're turning there, it's okay to keep your eyes open. I want to pray. Keep your eyes open while I'm praying, but don't ever let the kids catch you afraid with your eyes open at the tent table. I saw. Well, we were. So, how did you know? <laughs> it's kind of a dyke. Father, one, Son and Holy Spirit, in you there is no disagreement, no incontinuity, there's total righteousness. And when you speak, there's no fracturing of what you desire to say. You're clear. You are truth. Thank you that our hearts, tuned by your spirit, can receive and hear what it is you're saying. Times in Revelation, we so said, let he hear, hear what the... coming and I pray have this effect and I can change or do whatever I always, I'm always tempted when they do that you know jerk around like they're doing something back there is it are we okay we're back I asked to go old school with the lapel mic you know we don't even wear lapels anymore so You know, Matthew chapter 13 is not where I'm preaching from. I told you to turn to Luke 10. That's where we'll be. But I was thinking that in the parable of the sower, Jesus explained to his disciples, he said that, hear the parable of the sower. If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, endures only for a little while. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares, and the cares of this world choke the word 
and it becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfolds, some sixty and some thirty. And we're in the season of fruit bearing. And you look around and see the, the apples on the trees that survived the hailstorms. Uh, there's still fruit to be had. I, we've been going, I've been going out every day looking in our garden, and we have zucchini, which just goes crazy on its own. And you look and look. Sometimes they hide. You can't quite see them. They're green. They lay in with all the stems and the flowers and the leaves. But I went every day looking for these zucchini. I went the other morning, and no kidding, I looked down and I thought, where have you been? Because <laughs> I'm sure I looked in this spot every day. But now I look, and there's this zucchini. It's got to be four inches in diameter and about a foot long. It's monstrous to me. And I thought, did it just appear overnight? I thought, wow, hundredfold fruit, this one zucchini, you know. There's enough there for zucchini bread for a month. No problem. But I want us to be good hearers this morning. Do you want to be a good hearer of the word? We don't want the enemy to steal away what God is saying to us. We don't want it to be choked out by the cares of this life, which is easy to have happen. Uh, we don't want to go, yay, I like that word. And then as soon as we try and practice it, persecution occurs, and then we, we drop it and run. We want it to get inside of us and take root and grow up into fruitfulness and really do something in us that God wants done. And I'm going to ask a favor if we could... I don't mind if we close both doors, but at least the one on that side would be really helpful. Would you like some light? Light. Maybe that's the issue. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer, and right there, I don't know about you, but I have, I have a dozen good lawyer jokes, but we won't use them this morning. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, right? You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, and I, I like another version, it says, and Jesus made an answer. He fashioned his response. He didn't just knee jerk. This is the Son of God. And he fashioned an answer for this one man. Fortunately, we get it too. And he made an answer and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he, had, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, 
and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. He says to the lawyer, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. It's, it's in my heart this morning, and you have these hopes or wishes that I mean, Jesus just had this encounter and it was enough for him and the lawyer in the moment. And everything that needed to happen happened evidently in this encounter. But then we are bold enough as preachers to think that we can expand and make it better. You know, help you really understand it. And I think Jesus probably did well enough all by himself. But there are some things in here this morning, and this is a very, very familiar parable. Um, I have a quote here from a gentleman named Archibald Thomas Robertson, who's the professor of New Testament interpretation at the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he says, this parable of the Good Samaritan has built the world's hospitals. If understood and practiced, it will remove race prejudice, national hatred and war, and class jealousy. That's a pregnant sentence for me. That's fat with meaning. This, and it's true. I mean, even RVers understand the Good Sam Club. Huh? You ever seen the little symbol, Good Sam? Was that means you don't leave your other motorhome buddies broken down on the side of the road. And believe me, there's plenty of that. Right? I mean, if, how many of you owned a motorhome and had some time on the side of the road with it? I mean, that's what they do. I think they're built for that. That's like when it breaks down, you have a place to make lunch. <laughs> Works out pretty nicely. You see, my father in Mexico, you know, they, Hermosillo, uh, Good Sam wrote Hermosillo, you know, they're going to boycott their city. Oh, yeah. His dad was in prison in Hermosillo, Mexico, had a stroke in the prison, and Good Sam Club came to the rescue. They were the only, or, you know, Jerry Lewis, the representative. Yeah. He said, Well, your father broke the law, and there's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. But the Good Samaritans worked. He had another stroke, and he was in the hospital right away. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I remember it happening, but I didn't know it was a good Samaritan, guys. Good Sam. Good Sam. <laughs> no, that's fine. What I would like for us this morning, these four things, to understand the passage. It's not hard to do. But the question should be asked, do I really know what happened here? We've heard it. We've read it. We assume we understand it, right? I mean, that's bold of us, but that's okay. We should be confident in our approach to the Word of God. Second, we might identify ourselves in the parable. Are we one of these people? Are we acting like any of these people? Are we like the the priest? Are we like the Levite? Are we the good Samaritan? Or are we the wounded person? I heard the Word of the Lord this morning speaking to some of us saying, hey, I want to work and make you one. 
I want to build you together. I want my love to bring you together like in unity and family. And, and I heard allusions to brokenness being repaired and God desiring to put us back together in the brokenness that we carry. Anybody not broken here this morning? I'd see no hands. <laughs> in other words, we can all admit there is some brokenness to us. And God is so interested in repairing us and restoring us and putting the pieces back together. And it's like that, uh, I think it was Patsy Claremont that had that vision. The Lord asked, what do you see? And she says, I see it. I see this cracked pot. You know, it's, it's a vessel. It's a vase that's been all patched back together. He said, and then this, I see a light descending down into it. And he says, well, now what do you see? And she says, well, now that the light's inside of it, I see the light shining through all the cracks and the little holes where it's been put back to, together. And he said, Patsy, that's you and me. I shine through you best where you've been cracked and broken and repaired. It's not that you're perfect. It's okay that you're broken. Allow me to put it back together. Allow me to piece it together and make it look beautiful again, but then let me fill it. And wherever the brokenness is, that's where I'll be the strongest and that's where I'll shine through the best. God's interested in building us together. And the body of Christ has been broken. Let's take it one step further. That we have, especially in a Western culture, learned how to be very independent and aloof and apart and how to wear the mask and how to not let people really know what our problems are. I don't want you to know what my problems are, right? Okay? And it's kind of funny because generally you figure them out anyway. You know, but we still try to hide and wear the mask. And, and that's where the word hypocrite comes from in the scriptures. It's wear the mask. That's what it means. A hypocrite is a person that wears the mask. You're like in the theater, the happy and the sad face. You just hold the stick with the face on it. And pretend to be someone else. That's what an actor is. But the word in the Greek is the word for hypocrite. Somebody who puts on the play. God sees right through us. And he wants us to learn how to see through each other. And he wants to help us learn how to be exposed and vulnerable to one another in a safe environment. Not just all the time with everybody. You don't do it at the bus stop. You know, there's some people you share your stuff with, say, you know, I'm just so broken. This is where I hurt. And they'll laugh at you. You know, they don't care, right? <laughs> They're actually kind of glad that you're hurting and wounded. You don't want to share with them. That's not safe. But that's, that's another message. It's a good one, though. I like it. So we can identify ourselves in the parable. Which one might we be? Three, I'd like to know if there's any exemptions to this parable. How about you? Is there any way out of it? Let's check. And as I prayed, I'd like for us to move in the discussion I had with my good friend Leah just this week. Can we move from our mind to our heart in understanding and get a spirit response? rather than just a mental assent to agreement with words on a page. Great story, like it, understand it, can repeat it. But did it get, did it move that gigantic distance, the 12 inches between my head and my heart, and get a hold of my life? So let's go back. A certain lawyer. And it really is tempting to tell lawyer jokes. Uh, they just... They just flood through my head. It's terrible. But that, I don't want to fail to funny. The lawyer here, you may have uh, some kind of a 
footnote in yours or an, an addition, it says expert in the law. That's the kind of lawyer. And the law was specifically not a civil law. It was the law of Moses, was the laws of God. This guy's an expert. He knows the law. And so he's challenging Jesus with the law and his knowledge of the law. He's coming from a mental place. Asking this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, which we would be unfamiliar with in, in what it's written, it says, what is your reading of it? This is actually a rabbinical phrase that they would use when they were quizzing one another at the rabbi level. What's your reading of it? It was a, it was a phrase that was common. And so when Jesus says, what's your reading of it? How do you read it? Now it was his turn to respond to that. His first response he goes right to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and he quotes what the Israelites and the Jews called the great Shema. It is the central creed of Judaism. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. In other words, I'm really familiar with the law. This is how I read it. In fact, do you know what the phylacteries are? You've read about the phylacteries uh, in the scriptures, and Jesus actually got after the Pharisees and the Sadducees for wearing the phylacteries. It wasn't a common thing probably until just maybe a few hundred years before Jesus came, but the Jews took it seriously when, when the Lord said, write these things on your doorposts and keep them in front of your mind and write them on your hands in the law in Deuteronomy. And so what they did is they made these little boxes and tied them onto their wrists and put scriptures in them or put them on their forehead. You may have even seen pictures of guys with these tied onto their head, little dangling things. And inside the little boxes, they would write these scriptures. And there were four basic ones that they put in them, this being one of them. Reminding themselves, keeping always at the forefront of your mind as it were supposed to look, and always at the ends of your hands, that the Lord God is one. And so the lawyer went right to the first test and passed it clearly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in order to demonstrate, and this is kind of interesting, you want to look at Leviticus chapter 19. You know, it's not your regular devotional material, probably. If you're like me, you'd rather read the Psalms or the Proverbs, but not Leviticus or Jeremiah. In Leviticus chapter 19, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then this litany, this list of things begins. You know, you revere your mother and father. If you're going to do a sacrifice, do it this way. If uh, you're going to eat this, eat it like that. And, and I mean, this goes, details, details. Don't steal don't deal falsely. Don't lie to one another. Don't swear by my name. Don't cheat your neighbor. I mean, it's this, this one after the next. Boom, 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 boom. The do's and don'ts, the lists of the law. This is the fine detail of the law here. And so the expert standing in front of Jesus reaches into the middle of this verse, these verses in chapter 19, Leviticus, and pulls out 18b, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's planted in the middle of the chapter for us. Of course, for them, it was on the scrolls. But what this expert in the law was trying to prove to Jesus is, I know the law. 
I know the law, and I can go right down into the middle of the scroll and find this one obscure little passage that says, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's in my phylacteries. I bind it on the forefront of my forehead. Sometimes there were swatches of material that they would actually wrap around them and paste themselves. And Jesus got after them for making them so wide. It was a prideful thing. My phylacteries are bigger than yours. My holiness is better than you. And he said, you guys, you, get, you just got it wrong. So he's exchanging with the expert. The expert says, the great Shema. And just for the sake of proving I know the law, let me drop in this one little line, love your neighbor as yourself. We talk about that. And it's just one line out of a series of laws. So you pick a law, I'll find it for you, Jesus. Can you imagine the arrogance standing in front of the very Son of God. One who inspired the word, inspired the word, and challenging him. This is, this is a pretty good. That's a lawyer. Oh, watch it! The lawyer jokes are coming. It was his business to know the law, and he knew it. Now, First Corinthians eight one through three is a little bit of proof texting on my part, but I think you'll forgive me. Well, let me read these three verses. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. This is what came to mind as I was reading this expert. Boy, knowledge puffs up. Pride and look at me. But love builds up. And this word edifies means it's the same picture. It just digs way down deep and starts a foundation where you can't see it. So that by the time that foundation is up to the surface of the earth, it will hold however much needs to be built on top. You see the skyscrapers, and you think of the foundation that goes down into the earth to hold those things up. That's what this word means, edifies. Love edifies. Love digs deep and builds into us that which will hold us up as we walk above the earth. It doesn't puff us up. (coughs) Having more knowledge puffs us up. And I, I lay this as an indictment to us intellectuals in Western cultures, that where we think that we need to always know more. Well, I don't know quite enough. I would submit to us that everybody in this room knows enough to go to a third world nation or a developing country and be a missionary starting tomorrow. We know enough of the Bible. We know more than we'll ever obey. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're going to be held accountable for these things. But this continual quest of I got to know the next thing, I got to know just a little more, it's a trap. And this lawyer is setting his own trap. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. His first question I mean, when you think of a court scene where the lawyer is going to come with his first volley, he said, What must I do? We are so susceptible to this sentence in the way we... I'm indicting all of us. You're going down with me today, okay? 
what can, men are especially prone to this question, ladies, and you know it. When something goes wrong at the house and you're tearing up and you're crying and we don't know what it is, we always want to know what can we do. We think we can get a wrench out and twist and fix it. We think we can put a screwdriver on it and make something better. And it doesn't work. But we're prone to this. And this lawyer puts it right in front of Jesus. I almost hear Jesus say, this is going to be so easy. (laughs) I mean, the lawyers missed it already. What can I do to inherit eternal life? The premise is immediately wrong. So when Jesus says, how do you read it? And he he responds with the Shema and the law that he did. Jesus simply answers, you have answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Now what you and I don't get from the original languages in this passage and is very important to me today. And if, if you get one thing today, let it be this. What this actually says, it's called a present imperative sentence. Jesus is saying, keep on doing this forever without fail, and you will earn for yourself eternal life. You can do it all on your own. You can get eternal life by yourself. All you have to do is keep the law without fail forever. That's what Jesus' simple sentence. The lawyer knew what he was saying. You and I don't get this out of this parable. It's not that exposed for us. We have to dig in to understand this. And that's what, that's what I found when I read this. I thought, oh my goodness. Jesus is turning the tables on this expert. He is, he is calling him, putting his feet to the line. What must I do? In all my knowledge, and all my understanding of the law, show me what I need to do. Jesus, it's real easy. Just do what you said. All the time and never fail. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Just do that all the time. Never fail. And you'll walk right into eternal life. Well, the lawyer's on his heels. I... Nobody can do that, right? Nobody can do that. So he's a good lawyer. He has another question. Okay, I'm looking for the loophole. Well, then who is my neighbor? That's what his response was. Who's my neighbor? Jesus, you have to define this now. He already knew as the expert in the law, and you would know too if you were a Jewish person, that they had already for centuries defined who was the neighbor. They had it down to a science, and it excluded everyone who was not a Jew. All the Gentiles were not included. Anyone who was not a, quote, person of the covenant, not an Israelite, not a person who knew the covenants of God, if they weren't associated with the covenants of God, then they were excluded as neighbors. So he, Jesus, it's your turn. Who's my neighbor? They both already knew the answer. But this is a great exchange. And so Jesus makes the answer. He's, I, I can't put words in the mouth of Jesus. That is so hard to do. I can't even get the tone of voice of the, to read the scriptures right sometimes. 
How did this go down? But here's Jesus, who, above you and I, loves the lawyer. Right? Can't overlook the fact that God so loved the world, he even loved this guy. He loves him, and he goes, his heart is wrong. He's all caught up in his brain. He, he's got it all figured out, and his pride is blocking the way. So I'm going to make a personalized answer for him. And may I insert that you and I, when we face our most difficult challenges, God loves us so much that he will make a personal answer for you. You're not in some trouble he can't figure out. You don't have a distress he's unaware of. The Bible says we have a great high priest who is familiar with all of our temptations and struggles. And he feels, feels for us. And when he looks at us and he says, your heart is broken, your, your thinking is wrong, let me make an answer for you. That's how intimate God is. And he's intimate, him and this lawyer. I think it's so wonderful that Luke, the doctor, is detailing this for us. And that God included this one time in the body of Scripture, this one parable. Who's my neighbor? So the answer, well, there was this guy. Do they say that even to this day, the road to Jericho is just as dangerous as it always has been? It's only about 15 or 20 miles long, and it's still not a safe thing to travel. It doesn't make me want to go there or be a tour guide. <laughs> and we know the parable. I think we're all very familiar with it, but Jesus lines it out for this guy. The priest comes. Now, the priest was charged with the responsibility of showing people the way to God being in communication with God. The priest's responsibility, uh, I like the way it was stated, was to stand before God and talk to God about men and then to turn and begin to talk to men about God. This was who they were. They were the go-betweens. So the priest comes, the one who should have compassion, the one who should know to take care of people, the one who is all about redeeming mankind, comes and passes by on the other side. Why? Well, he also knew that if he touched the guy, he would be ceremonially unclean. He would no longer be able to perform his duties at the temple, and he had a job to do. So let's just summarize for him that he just didn't want to get his hands dirty because he had to go do his work. He had to go be holy for God, and he missed the point. So Jesus gives him that. Then he says, here's the Levite comes by. Now the Levites was a whole tribe of people, right? that belonged to God. God made it. He actually bought them. He redeemed them for himself. Out of all the tribes of Israel, said, this tribe is mine. They have no inheritance but me. They are solely mine, and I am solely theirs. We're about being together. And the Levite at least goes over and peeks. Mmm, oh, that looks bad. Whew. But I better not touch him. He misses the point, too. So the lawyer's listening. He's probably feeling a little pain by now. Mm. He's already looking for his next question, probably. And then Jesus says the most unusual thing to him. And then there came a Samaritan. A Samaritan's in the story? Are you kidding? Look at John chapter 4. A Samaritan. How did he get in here? This isn't going to work out well. In John chapter 4, 
And, and just the little history here. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize, his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, do you know your geography a little bit? Israel, little kind of long box like this. I know you can't see this on the recording, so lift your hand. No, sorry. <laughs> Go to the back of your Bible and look at your maps. Uh, Judea is in the south, and then Samaria is in the middle, and then above that is Galilee. And you got the River Jordan that runs down. The Sea of Galilee is up in the north. The Dead Sea is in the south. And so it says here, he needed, he, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the Jews had a route that avoided Samaria because they didn't like Samaritans. And there's a tremendous history of why. The Assyrians, when Israel disobeyed God, he allowed the Assyrian king to come in and defeat them. And then the Assyrian king took the Jews out of Israel and put his own people in there to supplant the country and rule it. And then they intermarried. And so basically a Samaritan is a half-breed, a mongrel. It's a, it's a Jew that married a Gentile. And so the Jews said, we don't have nothing to do with those people. They're Samaritans. But here in this beautiful passage, it says, but Jesus, he wanted to go from the south to the north, but he needed to go through Samaria. And he was going to take all his Jewish buddies with him. <laughs> Talk about discipleship on the hoof. This is great stuff. We're traveling with Jesus. We're going to go through Samaria? Really? Where are we going to get something to eat? We don't even eat with those people. I mean, all the objections. But Jesus had an appointment with the woman at the well. And that's another message, a great message. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria says to him, and this is the summary of the Jewish picture of Samaritans. How is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's the summary of what the lawyer already knew. When he said, who's my neighbor, he had drawn a circle around himself and said, these people are excluded. But what will Jesus say? So when he tells the story, well, the priest didn't do it well, and the Levite didn't do it well, but there was this Samaritan who when he saw him was moved by, this is one of my favorite words in the Bible. He was moved by splankna. I've never forgotten this word. I studied this once and it's just one of those words that will not leave my thinking. Splankna. The splankna is what the Israelites believed was the center of the human existence the mind, will, and the emotions, the place where the decisions to be emotional come from, the center of who you are. And he was moved with compassion. And I, I always have a hard time saying it, so I wrote it down. Let me see if I can find it. I wouldn't want to teach you something incorrectly. There it goes. And I do want you to be impressed with my knowledge. <laughs> Like the lawyer. Oh, I don't want to. I can't find it anyway. It's a big, long word. It's a lot of fun. But he was moved with compassion. Look at this. The guy who shouldn't respond, shouldn't even touch the Jew. 
is moved from the center of his being, not from his head. He said, this guy's in trouble. He goes over. He takes care of him. Pours in oil and wine. That's a funny combination for me, but when you think about it, the oil is for healing, and wine is an alcohol. That would have cleansed the wound. Puts him on his own donkey or whatever it was. Takes him on down, puts him in, takes care of him. Says he took care of him personally. Overnight. Then he went to the innkeeper with whom he had a frequent flyer plan. I mean, he knew him. He'd been through here before. This guy's probably, you know, regular traveler. He says, hey, look, you got to take care of this guy. Here's the money you'll need. And when I come back, and you know I'm coming back, I stay here all the time. This is my favorite Holiday Inn Express. You know what's funny about this to me, historically, is that this is a parable. But they tell me if you go to Israel, they'll show you the inn. Think about it. You know, it'll settle in. It's a story. They have, and there's two of them about halfway through. They go, this, is, this could have been it. This could have been it. It's a story. Okay. But we could make a little something off of that if we put up, this is where he stayed. You, you can stay in his room. Extra charge. You're going to like it. Okay, so this isn't theory anymore. Jesus is saying we're moving beyond theory now. We're moving beyond knowledge. We're moving to the point where someone is moved by compassion. It can be irrational. It might not make sense to your brain to love like Jesus asks us to love. It might not make sense. Jesus taught us to love our spouses, our family, right? He teaches us to love our our, our friends. He teaches us to love our enemies. It's all about God is love, right? He's the lover. God so loved the world. He loved his enemies. And he says to us, if you're going to love, love like I love. Not with your head. Do it with your splunkna. Do it with your innermost being. Let compassion drive you. Learn how to serve others. Go after and help the half-breed, the mongrel, the throwaway. The hurting, the wounded. You know, it never says this guy comes to, to consciousness. We don't have that in the story. He doesn't even really know what's happening as far as we know. He's out of it. He's being tended to. He's cared for overnight. He maybe hasn't even come to yet. So now you have to take care of him until I get back. Here's the money to do it. But he is still hurting. And he may not even know who's helped him. It could have been, had he known, and he being a Jew that was wounded, had he known the guy was a Samaritan, he might have rejected the help. There's just so many sides to the story. And this lawyer is quick-witted. He's no densoid. He's getting it. Jesus is simply making the answer for him and giving him everything to think about. It's got to be attacking his mind. I don't have a way out. I can't overcome this, this guy, this Jesus fellow. I'm, I'm not winning the argument. And then Jesus lands the bomb. Okay. So now that we've talked about this, which of these three do you think? He goes right for the mind. Do you think? What are you thinking up there? What's that lawyer brain of yours telling you now? Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? And the classic giving of this parable never seems to overlook the fact that the, the lawyer asked one question and Jesus answered it differently. 
right? Who's my neighbor? But the answer is, who is neighbor to him? It's not, this was the neighbor. Who do you think was neighbor to the person in need? The Bible's got it for us. He chokes. We don't see it, but here it is. He can't even say, the Samaritan. (laughs) He can't get that word out of his mouth. He's, well, (laughs) can you imagine a lawyer not having something to say? (laughs) He's choking on the word. He could have simply said, well, the Samaritan did. Which of these three? The Samaritan. He can't, (laughs) it won't come out. So he says, well, he that showed mercy. He's still not going to give up in the argument. He's not going to say what Jesus wants him to get. The one that showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go thou and do likewise. Wow. In John chapter 13, we have a story in the first 17 verses of Jesus eating dinner with his disciples. Remember I asked, if we, is there an exemption here? I want to know if there's any exemption to me loving my neighbor and my neighbor can be anybody who's in need. Jesus just pulled all the gloves off on this one. He said, you can no longer draw a circle around Israel and say only the people inside this circle are the ones I have to love. He said, they're all in your circle of love now. The mongrels, the half-breeds, the throwaways, the hurting, the wounded, the people you don't like, the people that aren't like you. They're a different color. They have different traditions. They have different styles. They have different ways of doing things. You know, one of the fun things is simple. Rob and I talk about this. You go to Mexico and sing. In Mexico, you just stand out like a sore thumb because they clap on the off, which is, what's, we clap on one and three. We clap on one and three in the four count. They clap on two and four. So the song starts and the whole room goes, and I go on the next one. And then, just this little gringo over here on the wrong beat. (laughs) They have different ways. And some of them are simple. And maybe they don't talk to their families the way I do. And they don't use the same gestures. And they're different. And maybe Syrians are different. And maybe the Lebanese are different. And maybe people of color are different. And we all make little ethnic jokes about one another. But I'm thinking about what Archibald said when we started. This parable of the Good Samaritan has built the world's hospitals. If understood and practiced, it will remove race prejudice, national hatred and war, and class jealousy. Jesus stripped the lawyer standing there. You ask the question, who's my neighbor? Here's the answer. Who will you be neighbor to? When they're in need, it doesn't matter what their class is. Your response needs to come from the heart of compassion and move to help them. The lawyer's defenseless. I think it's great. I mean, I rejoice in the wisdom of Jesus. And Jesus, look at this. Jesus did not administer grace to this lawyer until the law had done its work. 
Galatians chapter 3. And I know I'm on borrowed time by now. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, there's a little verse that Paul says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was our tutor. Now this word tutor can be expanded as well, and some of your Bibles will have a footnote of some sort. And mine says this way, in a household, the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children. That's what a tutor was. You could have a mom and dad and all the kids and family, but you could have a tutor. And it was their responsibility for the care of the children and the discipleship or the discipline of the children. And the parents would allow that to occur through another person. He says, the law was our tutor. It was put in charge of us to discipline us, to care for us, and to bring us to Jesus to point us every time to Jesus. And when Jesus said, how do you read it? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's really good. Just do that forever, never failing, never breaking the law, and you will walk right into eternal life all on your own. That's all you have to do. James told us that Nobody can do it. Every time the law shows up, Paul said, the law revives and I die. Because there's something in the law every time that says, thou shalt not, and I already did. Or something that I should, and I didn't. I fail. I can't even do well on the top ten, right? The Ten Commandments, let alone those 365, there's enough for one every day of the year. And they revive, and when they look at me and say, Thou shalt not, and I say I did, the Bible says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the whole thing. The lawyer knew that. Just go and do what it says, and you'll walk right into eternal life just like you want. You want to know what to do? I'll tell you what you have to do. The summary for us is we can't do it. And Jesus knew that. He said, Lawyer, Here's what you need to understand. The law is in your head to bring you to me. And when you arrive at me, you have to confess that you're a failure and that you'll never be able to do this. And you fail all the time. And you just don't have enough moxie to make it work. And when you confess your weakness and your brokenness, then I'll move into your heart, not your head. And when I move into your heart, I'll teach you how to be a person full of splankna full of compassion and how to move in answer to the needs of the world through love. When, when Pastor Rob allowed me the pulpit this morning, we, we talked about this one step closer to Jesus. I said, well, what, where could we go next in stepping closer to Jesus? Well, I believe that from this parable, we should understand that to get one step closer to Jesus means I'm going to have to get one step closer to people somewhere, right? The body of Christ is a great place to start. At least it's a warm zone. Those of you that are in life groups, you have the opportunity every week, right? Don't you? All week long, and when you get together, you go, ah, I got another opportunity to love somebody now, right? Or for them to love me. Some place for me to be transparent or them to be transparent, and I'm going to maybe shocked when they get open and honest about where they're at. And now I have to respond to that. Not react, up here, ah, respond, ooh, compassion, golly, 
I used to be really as bad as you. No. <laughs> that's not the right it's not the right answer. <laughs> but now I'm now I'm better and you can be better too. No, it's not. I I should stop. I should just stop. (laughs) Let me end. Everybody says amen. Let him in. Tell him to stop it. Mark chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. There it is. Mark is still there in the Bible. Chapter 12. Let me show you one other scribe who handled the same passages of Scripture just a little differently with Jesus and try and make the final point. I will try. Now, if you look at the headings, if you have a Bible, they have headings through pieces. You know, he tells it the first part, the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And then in verse 13, mine says, the Pharisees, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The Pharisees, you know, they're... They keep the law. Next section, verse 18. The Sadducees. What about the resurrection? All these people that bicker over the law are quizzing Jesus. Boom, boom. What about this? What about this? What are, these are big deals. Who are you? What are you going to say? And we get to verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, he was listening to these debates with these guys and Jesus, he was observing, scribe responsible for transmitting the laws to the next generation, writing things down, right? He heard him reasoning together. Perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him. Now, I believe this guy is sincere. I don't think this guy is a lawyer type. He's like, wow, he's been answering these guys really right on. This is my opportunity to ask a question of somebody who knows the answer probably. So he says, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answers the same way the lawyer answered him in our other passage. The first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the great Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength, this is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe says to him, Well said, teacher. He's got a smile on his face. You've got to see it like this. Well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there's no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the soul and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He was delighted in the response that Jesus gave. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. And boy, wouldn't I love to tear apart the word wisely. What does that one mean? He answered wisely and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Buddy, you are so close. And after that, nobody dared to ask Jesus any more questions. (laughs) 
two different exchanges. One, this attack from the mind. I want to eliminate everybody I don't have to love. And the other one going, that's the way I've been reading it. To love God with everything. And then to love other people. That just takes care of everything, doesn't it, Jesus? Yes, it does. And if you follow that, you're this close to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? That's where Jesus is the king and he rules over what's happening in every situation he's invited into. You're that close. Because you're coming at it with your heart, not your head. You're not trying to eliminate, you're trying to include. So are we talking about just a good set of values? Are we talking about some thoughts? Are we just a few points to ponder this week? Or are these really commands from Christ? Are these expectations that Jesus has of us? Are these some kind of requirement? We have to ask those questions. Is this just a nice thing to read and talk about and discuss on a Sunday morning? Or am I going to get a challenge this week to figure it out? I pray we'll be challenged this week to figure it out. And I hope in the life groups to stimulate you with some thoughts about how you can do that. But it's not all about doing, is it? What can I do? You can't do anything. <laughs> but you can love God. And you can love your neighbors yourself. And that's going to take care of an awful lot of what you're about. So if you find yourself not loving somebody, you really ought to ask the question, why don't I love them? What is it about them? Why, is it just because they're different than me? Is it their thoughts? Is it the way they approach life? Is there something that God wants to work in my spirit so that I can love them? Do I need to love them beyond myself? Do I need to love like God loves just because? And then I see Jesus hanging on the cross in pain and agony, and he loves those guys. That's a tough one. But God does it, and he invites us to be like him. And he says he'll fill us with himself. He'll allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and give us the ability to do what we cannot do on our own. We can go beyond this. We can grow bigger. He can build us together if we'll begin to love one another. John 4, 7, and 8. 1 John 4, 7, 8. Love is of God. And everyone that loves knows God. Right? Let's love people. That's how we'll get one step closer to Jesus. looking through them. Letting them look through us. I was reading a story this morning about a little crippled boy that was on crutches and his, his way of begging or making money he had a little basket full of fruits and things that he would sell at a train station. And the crowd was there and he was trying to make his way through on his crutches and holding his basket at the same time. And some business guy bumped him and his apples and stuff went splattering everywhere. And the guy stopped just long enough to say, what are you doing getting in my way? And went on to his train, and this little guy's down in his crutches, and another guy noticed what had happened. He came over and got, helped him get all things back, gathered up, put them in his basket, and reached in his pocket, put a little money in his little cup, and said, I hope that takes care of your inconvenience this morning. And then he went on his way. As he was going, this little guy calls out. He says, hey, mister, are you Jesus? He said, no, I'm just one of his followers. 
Don't you want that reputation? To be like Jesus enough to have somebody ask, Hey, are you Jesus? Father, would you make us like yourself? Yes, you would. I know the answer. It's kind of rhetorical. You want us to be like you. We are your children. You've given us the privilege of being in your family. And we'd represent you. We wear your name everywhere we go. Make us living letters of truth this week. Put in us your spirit. Fill us. Forgive us. Restore us. Put us back together individually and corporately as a body and teach us how to love our community, how to love one another, and so fulfill the royal law of Christ. Teach us your ways. Help us walk paths. And Lord, I do pray that you will take this well beyond our minds and put it in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for the shot at the pulpit. <laughs> Have a great day. You're still not late for lunch. When you call out his name, he will come and say, Well, he will come and say.